Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lenz, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. Learn more about the program and our church when you visit walkintruth.com. Now, here's part two of Pastor Michael's teaching in Psalm 2 called, Why Are the Nations in an Uproar? Look, if you try to live your life without God, what you're going to find is vanity. See that word vain in the very first verse? That's a word. There's a there's a Hebrew word there, and I'm not sure if it's the specific word that's used in Ecclesiastes, but if you've studied Ecclesiastes, what Solomon says over and over and over again is vanity. All is vanity. And the book is written with a mindset of eliminating God from the equation. So it's life under the sun, the, the ball of fire over our planet, it's, it's life under the sun without God. It's life just looking from below instead of getting above. And Solomon says over and over again, I tried wealth. I tried many, many relationships. I tried the writing of books. I tried building projects. I tried this. I tried that. I tried 700 wives or 700 wives and 300 concubines. That's a thousand women in his life. That didn't work. He screamed, Vanity, <laughs> or loose translation, help. And when we remove God from the equation, this is what we end up with, vanity, which the word can mean meaninglessness. See, a life that is just about pleasure will end up meaningless. You can... You can get temporary excitement. You can go from relationship to relationship. You can say, I'll, I'm going to turn down God's uh, voice or I'll turn up the volume so I don't have to hear it. And you can listen to the ways of the world, which are put before us every single day for our consumption. But you will end up empty. Take it to the bank. You know why I know that? Because I tried it. And I even tried to go back to it after I became a Christian. And life without God, although sin can be pleasurable for a season, is ultimately vain, empty, if you try to do life without God. The kings of the earth, verse 2, take their stand and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. Notice the next phase is focused on rulers of the earth who start to stand, they get together, and they take a plan about how to square off with the Lord, that's Yahweh there, all capped, and his anointed, which points to the Messiah. On a sub-level, we are God's anointed, we are God's people, we are in Christ, we are holy because of that. But ultimately, this psalm is pointing to Jesus Christ. And if you think about how a society begins to try to divest itself of the Lord, attacks on Jesus Christ are at the center of that. And that's what's happening now in our day. People will talk about a higher power. They will talk about a God who can help you through this or that. But when you start to talk about God's anointed, God's Messiah, the anointed one, that's literally what Messiah or Christ means, by the way. 
the anointed of God. This is where history has been moving all along towards the anointed one who would arrive on the scene and, and show forth that he is the Messiah. But the rulers of the earth take their stand. They counsel together. Here's what they say. They say, let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. They say, we will not have this man to rule over us. And even when Jesus came in his very generation, this is essentially what many people did. Even the religious leaders of the day, we will not have this man to rule over us. By the way, there are many interactions where they've seen Jesus's miracles. Jesus even told a parable in Matthew I think it's chapter 21, where he says, they say, the religious leaders say, this is the heir, come let us kill him. And Jesus says, by that parable, you know who I am. You know exactly who I am. You've seen my miracles, you can't deny it, but you're too busy protecting your power, your position, and your little kingdom. And that's why they killed Jesus in the first century, because he was a threat to them. And remember, Pontius Pilate, the Roman procurator, five times, no less than five times, tries to release Jesus. I find no fault in this man. Yet it was the religious leadership that stirred up the crowd to get him crucified. See, this is what's been happening even before the time of Jesus. And now we think of the time of Jesus, we think now. And here's the deal we want to tear the fetters apart. We want to cast away their cords from us. We don't want God making the rules. And so ancient Israel did that. They said, no, we're, gonna, we're not going to follow the Ten Commandments. We're going to imbibe the ways of the nations around us. God warned them over and over again. When you enter the land, don't learn to imitate the detestable practices of the nations around you. And then he, he listed the things that they weren't to do, which included witchcraft and child sacrifice. I think I heard recently that you have uh, about a one in four chance in California even to get out of the womb. Do you think that the Lord hasn't been watching the thousands of babies that are killed every day in our state? Do you think that there's going to be no reckoning for that? But we want to tear God's fetters off. We don't want to hear that stuff. We, we don't want to hear God's truth. We don't want his fetters. Notice how they put it. Or we're going to tear away. We're going to cast away their cords. I heard Charlie Kirk uh, having a conversation with Pastor Jack Hibbs recently and Charlie Kirk is a young conservative voice in, in our culture, and he goes on to university campuses with a ministry called Turning Point. By the way, he uh, was challenged by a man not to go to college. And uh, he decided to start Turning Point USA. And he's one of a conservative voice, one of several, who are just, call, he's really just calling people back to the Bible. And it's not easy for these guys to get on college campuses anymore and talk about these kinds of ideas like going back to Scripture for our biblical morality. That gets laughed away by a lot of people. 
But he said something interesting. He said, you know, there's something at Harvard. There's a placard at Harvard. And it was written by, I think, the founding president. And it basically says this. I'm paraphrasing. But it says, within the law's constraints, men find happiness and life. And our great universities, when they were founded, they were founded by semi as seminaries for the training of ministers. Do you know that? And they say that that placard that I loosely quoted is covered up now by growth or foliage on the campus. <laughs> Maybe it's time to do a little trimming. See, these ideas were here in our country, and that's something that maybe a lot of you don't realize. Uh, I think most of you in this room do, but maybe a lot of our culture doesn't realize is that when universities were open that are now really anti-God, they were open to train people in the Word of God. How far have we moved away from that? In fact, I will tell you when a young person comes to me and says, Pastor Michael, where do you think I should go to seminary? There's not a long list of places I'm confident in to send them. And that's sad. You say, well, with all this talk of let's get the chains of God off of us. Let's, uh, let's get their fetters off. Is God nervous? Is he up in the sky biting his fingernails? What are we going to do now? Gabriel, Michael, come here. Let's have a cup of coffee. Let's devise a plan. These humans are a formidable group. <laughs> no. In fact, this is one of the few places that I can remember in Scripture where it says God laughs. So apparently God has a sense of humor. Aren't you glad? <laughs> and what makes him laugh is the pipsqueaks on the earth thing. You know what we're going to do? Put them up, God. Put them up. That tickles God. <laughs> if you ever wonder what makes God laugh, it's that. It's human beings thinking they're going to take God down. <laughs> do you know that the book of Daniel says that God, and Daniel said this to a king of his day, the most powerful king on the planet. God holds your very life breath in his hand. If he wanted to stop your heart right now, he could. Be careful. See, God sees what's going on, and what does he do? He who sits in the heavens laughs. In fact, it gets a little bit worse. It says the Lord, what? He scoffs at them. <laughs> I don't know what that looks like, but I could imagine a few things. Like, Gabriel, Michael, come here. Look at, look at that guy over there. It would be like an ant squaring off with you. Come on. I'll take you on. Right? And it's just a simple, and it's over. Next. <laughs> I wonder how many times a day God must laugh now. <laughs> Because there's a lot of devising going on in our world. Then he will speak, five. But notice, it shifts from laughter to anger. Then he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury. 
You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. Hey ladies, you're invited to a women's Christmas feast this Saturday evening at Living Truth Christian Fellowship in Corona. The feast, Simply Christmas, will be a time of fellowship and dining while celebrating Jesus, who came at just the right time. Come and enjoy music, food, and conversation outside Living Truth Christian Fellowship in a Christmas twinkle-lit tent. Simply Christmas will be from 5 to 8 p.m. this Saturday, December 12th. Don't worry, gals, the tent will have heaters. The event is $20 per person. Please register now on the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app or call 844-48-TRUTH during normal business hours. That's 844-48-TRUTH. See you there. We'd love to see who's listening. So please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Just do a search for Walkin' Truth Show. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance right here on Walkin' Truth. So apparently God has a sense of humor. Aren't you glad? And what makes him laugh is the pipsqueaks on the earth thing. You know what we're going to do? Put him up, God. Put him up. That tickles God. <laughs> if you ever wonder what makes God laugh, it's that. It's human beings thinking they're going to take God down. <laughs> Do you know that the book of Daniel says that God, and Daniel said this to a king of his day, the most powerful king on the planet, God holds your very life breath in his hand. If he wanted to stop your heart right now, he could. Be careful. See, God sees what's going on, and what does he do? He who sits in the heavens laughs. In fact, it gets a little bit worse. It says the Lord, what? He scoffs at them. (laughs) I don't know what that looks like, but I could imagine a few things. Like, Gabriel, Michael, come here. Look at, look at that guy over there. It would be like an ant squaring off with you. Come on. I'll take you on. Right? And it's just a simple, and it's over. Next. <laughs> I wonder how many times a day God must laugh now. <laughs> Because there's a lot of devising going on in our world. Then he will speak, five. But notice, it shifts from laughter to anger. Then he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury. See, although we could say God laughs in this sense, It is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. That's why we preach the gospel. I got a chance to interact with a lady yesterday, and she's a believer, and she's growing in her faith. We're talking about the Great Commission, and she was telling me that she's feeling a real push to go out and preach the gospel out on the streets. And you could tell she's, you know, she's kind of timid about it. And she said she asked a sister in Christ if that friend would go with her. And the friend said, sure. And they went out there. And, you know, that's intimidating. And she was talking about family members that she's praying for and sharing Scripture with. And it's such a cool thing to watch the people want to step out. And we're talking about how God is patient with us. 
And I gave her a Bible verse. It's 2 Peter 3, 9. And it says that the Lord is not willing that any perish, but all what? Come to repentance. Why, why do we preach the gospel? We preach it because it's really good news. But I have to tell you, there's some bad news. And this doesn't get a lot of attention in our modern church. The bad news is our God is a consuming fire and he will judge sin. And it's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. If you're not cloaked in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, we should have, see, what should drive our evangelism is compassion, empathy. Someone preached to you because they were concerned about your soul. And that's part of what should drive us. And so it says, he will speak to them in his anger, terrify them in his fury. But as for me, now the kings have been plotting, verse 2, they've been taking their stand. But as for me, the Lord says, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. God has a king. His name is Jesus. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Just look over to verse, uh, Psalm 3, verse 3. But thou, O Lord, are a shield about me. The David is talking about how he's feeling his adversaries are mounting up against him. Thou, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the one who lifts my head. I was crying to the Lord with my voice, and he answered me from his holy mountain. I lay down and slept. I awoke, for the Lord sustains me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who have set themselves against me round about. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. For thou hast smitten all my enemies on the cheek. Thou hast shattered the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Thy blessing be upon thy people. And then we have Selah, which is a pause, ponder, think about it. See, the Lord has installed his king. And Jesus is king of kings and Lord of lords. Do you believe that? You're not, you're not living for a temporary kingdom, brethren. You're living for something that is going to move way beyond this time. That's why you don't have to be afraid. He's king of the universe. He's king of kings and Lord of lords. I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, thou art my son. Today I have begotten thee. If you look at passages uh, on verse 7, quoted in Acts 13.33, Hebrews 1.5 and 5.5. This, thou art my son, today I have begotten thee, is a specific reference to the resurrection. Ask of me, eight, and I will surely give the nations, those nations are in an uproar, in verse 1, as thine inheritance. The very ends of the earth as thy possession. The Lord is going to give the nations as the inheritance to the Messiah. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt shatter them like earthenware. Do you know that when the day of the Lord comes, the Bible depicts that Jesus is the one coming to execute God's wrath. In fact, in Revelation 19, the famous passage, Jesus, it's Jesus who's coming on that white horse with the angel armies with him to execute God's wrath. 
Jesus is the judge. It's good to know the judge. (laughs) And a lot of people who consider the life of Jesus Christ, they don't realize that, yes, he came as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Yes, he is gracious and compassionate and slow to anger. But there's a day coming. It's called the day of the Lord. When the King of kings and the Lord of lords is going to ride in, if you will, here's the imagery, to execute judgment. But first, he will rescue his people. You can reference Revelation 19 and other places. Our Lord is going to come and save us, and he's going to come and execute judgment. Therefore, verse 10 says, Now, O kings, in light of this, show discernment. Take warning, O judges of the earth. Worship the Lord with reverence or fear, and rejoice with trembling. And then do homage, that is, obeisance or worship the Son, lest he become angry and you perish in the way. Notice in my New American Standard, Son is capitalized. This is a prophecy about the Messiah specifically dealing here with his judgment. And you perish in the way. His wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are all who take refuge in him. There's a warning here. Kiss the son, lest he become angry and you perish in the way. In John 3.16, Jesus said to Nicodemus, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish. They'll have everlasting life. Now this psalm takes on prominence in the New Testament. And I'll take you over there to the book of Acts. Let's turn over to Acts chapter 4. Let me just set the scene for a second. So there's been a healing of a crippled man, and it's an undeniable healing. Peter and John uh, in Acts 3.1 went to the place of prayer. There was a man who was lame from his mother's womb, and they uh, he's asking for silver and gold. If you remember the story, they say, silver and gold we don't have, but what we have we give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And the man rose up, and he began dancing around. <laughs> And it was an undeniable miracle right there in the temple courts. And it was an opportunity to preach. Peter, when he saw the amazement of the people, begins to break into the gospel. Acts 3.12, he goes back. He talks about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He talks about Jesus, God's Messiah or servant. Acts 3.13 He says, you disowned, Acts 3.14, the holy and righteous one, you asked for a murder to be granted to you. You put to death the prince of life. The one whom God raised from the dead, a fact to which we are witnesses. And on the basis of faith in his name, it is the name of Jesus which has strengthened this man whom you see and know. And the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now... Brethren, Acts 3.17, I know that you acted in ignorance just as your rulers did also. But the things which God announced beforehand by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ should suffer, he is thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and return that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. That he may send Jesus the Christ appointed 
for you, whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things about which God spoke by the mouth of the holy prophets, of this holy prophets from ancient time. You've been listening to Why Are the Nations in an Uproar? Part 2 on Walk in Truth, Pastor Michael's teaching in Psalm 2. Remember, if you missed any part of today's program, you can listen to Walk in Truth on the Living Truth app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen up, ladies. This Saturday at Living Truth Christian Fellowship in Corona, the church behind Walk in Truth, we'll be having a women's Christmas dinner from 5 to 8 p.m. And you're invited. So join the ladies at Living Truth for a simple evening of fellowship and dinner celebrating Jesus because he came at just the right time. Enjoy a Mexican dinner outside Living Truth with heaters and twinkling lights. The price is only $20 per person, so please register now on the Living Truth app or call 844-48-TRUTH during normal business hours. 844-48-TRUTH. That's 844-48-TRUTH. One more reminder that Walk in Truth is a listener-supported program. Your tax-deductible donation helps us broadcast on radio, provide the podcast, and do free apologetic events. It's all part of our mission to equip you with the truth in the Bible and to help you apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. Please consider becoming a monthly partner too. $10 a month is greatly needed. Visit walkintruth.com and click on donate. That's walkintruth.com. And join us tomorrow for the conclusion of Pastor Michael's teaching in Psalm 2 called, Why Are the Nations in an Uproar? I'm Mike Massaro. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Our goal is to equip you to reach out with God's truth to all people.